Welcome to today's message from Refuge Point Church. We would love for you to join us for one of our exciting worship gatherings each Sunday at either 9.30 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. We're located right off of I-85 in downtown West Point, Georgia. For more information, check us out online at www.refugepointchurch.org. Or you can download our church app by searching for Refuge Point Church in iTunes or Google Play. Now, here's today's message. A couple of weeks ago, we began a series uh, called Roots, and we are looking at our doctrine as a church, and we have already kind of gone through what we believe as a church about the Bible, what we believe about God. Today, I want to talk about Jesus. Amen. Is that okay with you? Yeah. I should be talking about Jesus every week, right? It's a good message to be talking about in church, okay? In fact, if I don't talk about Jesus, sit me down, all right? Because I need to be talking about Jesus more. Uh, And that's what I want to do. I want us to look at a right view, a biblical view of Jesus, who he is, what the Bible says that Jesus is. Because in our culture today, what I have found is that there are a plethora of Jesuses out there. There are um, many Jesuses. But a lot of those Jesus are the counterfeit Jesus because there's only one Jesus uh, in religions, or I should say uh, that's giving them way too much credit. In occults today, uh, there is the Muslim Jesus who was a prophet, a good man, right? You've probably heard of that Jesus. In, the, uh, in Jehovah Witness Jesus, he's a counterfeit Jesus because that Jesus is an archangel, most likely Michael the archangel is a, a spirit being and his brother's name is Lucifer so you have a couple bros who are Jesus and Satan that's the Jehovah's Witness Jesus in Mormonism you have a very similar Jesus as Jehovah's Witness Jesus in Mormonism you have a Jesus that was birthed from God and his celestial wife and so I've often wondered what the Mormons believe that celestial wife's name is today we'll give her a name called Sally so here's God and Sally it's the whitest name I could come up with because we view Jesus as like he's this white guy. And so we have this celestial couple in heaven, and they have celestial um, business time, and they beget Jesus and Lucifer. There's a duel in heaven about who gets to take over earth. Jesus wins, and so he gets to come and redeem us. And so this is a false Jesus, and the problem is with all those Jesuses, two out of those three occults would say they're Christians. And if I were to pull a lot of us, in fact, you could do the research yourself, that a lot of us as Christians would say, yeah, there are Christian brothers and sisters. In fact, the opposite is true. They worship a different Jesus. They worship a counterfeit Jesus. And what I want to press hard on us here this morning is talk about the real Jesus. Amen. The Jesus in the Bible, which is counter that of which... In fact, in in Christian faith, uh, we often have our view of Jesus. In fact, our view of Jesus is... Uh, very near to a counterfeit Jesus because we have, and this, this could be a long list, but for time's sake, I've got a lot to talk about. Um, this could be uh, the um, political Jesus, right? The Jesus who's a Republican. Um, that's not Jesus, by the way. Or maybe you're on the other side of the aisle and you think Jesus is the Democrat. That's not Jesus either because if Jesus is a part of a political affiliation, then he's a terrible Jesus, Um, Jesus is not the American Jesus, which is a lot of times that we believe that Jesus is. Jesus is not our homeboy. He is, he holds authority that your homeboy doesn't hold. I'm preaching 
back there, John. That was a good okay. opportunity for the church to say amen, but they didn't. They missed that opportunity. He ain't your homeboy. He's God. Yeah. And he holds a little bit more power and authority than your BFF and your brother from another mother. Okay. He is God. He holds all authority in his hand. And so a lot of us, we have, we have taken Jesus, made him look like he's this sexy guy who fits our needs. And so we give Jesus a six-pack ab. We give him the elongated, this Greek look to him, blonde hair. And isn't it funny, like Hollywood always got this Jim Caviezel guy playing Jesus. But Jesus was a Middle Eastern. He wasn't a, a, an American. And so we have this counter idea of Jesus. But the Bible is going to teach something that's very different than that Jesus. And I want to get into Colossians, but let me give you a little historical context before we get into Colossians, because Colossae is a city and that Paul is writing this letter to, uh, which we get the book of Colossians. So we get this tiny little city, which is, which is intriguing, because why would Paul stop what he's doing to focus on a small town called Colossae, a small city called Colossae? And in modern times, this would be like Paul taking um, a, a, a little break from his massive missions trip to focus on West Point. Okay. Ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah, they do. But Paul, yeah, they do, because I live in West Point. But here's Paul. He thinks it's so important, vital to uh, his ministry and for the sake of the church and the gospel that he takes Colossae, which is a city in Phrygia, and so he wants to just pause for a moment to address some issues that are in Colossae. So there's this, what some scholars would say, the Colossian heresy that's going on within the church of Colossae. You have mysticism, you have Gnosticism, you have Judaism, you have legalism, and, and all of these different isms creeping up into the church. Yeah. And what's happening is, is that the church is just kind of picking and choosing what looks good and sounds good and adding it to Christianity. Okay. And Paul thinks it's so important that he's got to give this brief pause of his ministry to talk to them about who Jesus really is because Paul wants them to have a right view of Jesus because what they have done is they have destructed the real Jesus and tried to make him out into someone he isn't. doesn't really sound much like our culture, does it? Yes, we do. How we, we like certain parts of Jesus. We like the Jesus who can give us good stuff. Yeah. We like the Jesus who can make us have a good life. Yeah. But we don't like the Jesus who says, in this world you'll have trouble. Okay. We don't, so we'll, we'll take that part out. We don't like that Jesus. So as much as Paul is addressing the church of Colossae, I would press on his inventor to say that Paul is addressing the church of refuge okay. in the church of America and the church of the world today and how relevant this letter that Paul gives to the city of Colossae some scholars believe that this passage, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, I'm about to get into it, so this introduction doesn't get any longer than it should. This section of scripture, just a few scripture, was actually a hymn that the early church would sing. Paul is wanting to remind them of who Jesus really is, because if we can have a right view of Jesus, then that can change the dynamic in which we live. All right, said that about God last week. If you have a right view of God, if you have a right view of Jesus... You have a better view of yourself. You have a better view of your situation. You have a better view of humanity and your neighbors around you. And so that's what I want is our souls to have a, um, a deep trench in them 
that has a right view of Jesus and who he is. Paul gives us this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. It says this, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the visible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. He is, notice the capitalization of he, he is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Now I'm reading out of the CSB, and I have, I have that underlined because it's a pretty powerful. Your translation may say, so that he may have preeminence, or, or sovereign rule, or, or superiority. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything together to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his bloodshed on the cross. Now, a couple Amen. things that I need to deconstruct really quick from verse 15 alone that I think a lot of occults can say, see, we got you. Let me deconstruct a few things here. The first thing is that he is the image of the invisible God. Now, some occults or some religions out there would say, see, we told you. He's just like a God. He's just in the image of God. But the Bible doesn't say he's in the image. He says he, he is the image. Now, you and I were created in the image, and we're not God. We don't have the power that Jesus had. We, we have some, hopefully, we have some of the characteristics of God. Amen? <laughs> y'all quiet this morning. I hope y'all walk into some of the characteristics of God. But we are not God. We do not have the complete image Okay. Of God, but here's Jesus. In fact, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 would say that he is the radiance of the glory of God and he holds all things by the power of the word of his mouth. Okay, so he isn't in the image, he is the image. So if you want to see what God looks like, then here's what Paul is saying. Then let's look and dive deep into the life of Jesus. Not only is he the image of the invisible God, but he is the firstborn Created, right? So yeah. let me de deconstruct this idea because Jehovah's Witness and Mormonism would tell you, see, we told you he's a created being. But you've got to understand context here. and You've got to understand translation of the word firstborn, which means that it is more of an authority that Jesus holds. Yeah. So it's not that he was birthed from the bosoms of heaven and on a certain day on December 25th, Jesus was born. So poof, now we have Jesus because the rest of the scriptures counter that. Because before all things were made, Jesus made them. So he isn't a created being. He was before all things even created. So here is Jesus and Paul kind of just rushing into this idea and a complete theology uh, framework. This is what we call uh, Christology. He's giving us this Christological view of Jesus by saying, really quick, Jesus is God. He's not a separate God. He's not a lowercase g God. He is God before time began. Yes, Jesus yes, is will. God. He created all things. Yes, In the beginning is. was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, is what John would say in John chapter 1. Yeah. 
And so if you want to look at the life of who God is, then we can look at the life of Jesus. Because yeah. Paul is really quick to say, Jesus is God. So I want to just kind of real quickly, before we get into the rest of this text, talk about who Jesus is. Because again, if we have a right view of Jesus, then we can have a better view of our situations, a better view of ourselves, a better view of humanity, our neighbors, our city, our community. And so in the Gospels, we can follow along the life of Jesus, and you get this incredible view of who God really is, because you could study the life and the character of Jesus. Now, one of the things, and I can have this inc incredibly long list of the character of Jesus and what Jesus is like, but for time's sake, I just got three points. It's pretty good. And then after that, I got a couple more points. But this is the three points that I want to talk about. The character of God. How to know God. We look at Jesus. In John chapter 8, we find a story where Jesus is going to display his mercy. So if you want to know what God is like, who God is, then you look at the life of Jesus because he is the image of the invisible God. And Hebrews 1 and 3 says that he is the radiance of the glory of God. And here's the thing you need to know about Jesus because this should radically transform the way you view yourself and others, is that Jesus is merciful. In John chapter 8, pretty cool story. There's this woman who is caught in the act of adultery. Yeah, yeah. Shall I pause for just a moment and let's all question how she was caught in the act of adultery. Have you ever wondered that? Maybe that's not the way your mind works. But that's the way my mind works. I'm thinking, hmm, wait a minute, hold on. We got some creepers up in the church leadership. What were they doing? Peeping through the window? Like, what are they? Mm-hmm. You that about them? I mean, that's kind of gross. We were looking for people to. Uh, that's just sick. Like you were disgusting if you do that. And I'm talking about you. I'm talking about anybody. That's nasty. Get a life. These guys ain't got nothing better to do with their time, but to peep through some windows. Trying to find somebody doing the, the bad thing, the nasty. Uh-oh. That's what's going on. Not to be, I mean, this is exactly what's happening. So she's caught. It's weird. This guy's drag her, throw her at the feet of Jesus. And they're like, she's guilty. See what she did, Jesus? And I'm thinking, Jesus is probably thinking a million things right now. But Jesus, what the Bible says, says that he stoops down and begins to draw in the sand. Color, do whatever. I don't know what he's doing. Doodling, drawing a unicorn, a dinosaur. I don't know if he's writing out their sins. Nobody knows. But here's this woman thrown at the feet of Jesus. Jesus doodling in the sand. And he looks at them and he tells this misquoted scripture a lot that we take out of context a lot. Jesus says, okay, who of you without sin cast the first stone? Amen. Now, this is Jesus' words to them. Because Jesus knows these jokers, pardon the expression, have been hoeing around themselves. And so Jesus is thinking, okay, yeah, y'all real good. What's about they, they just like, oh, he done got me. I don't know if that's exactly how they said it, but they, what do they do? They drop their stones. Right? This is what Jesus yep. does. 
Jesus bends down, looks at the woman, grabs her by the face, I'm sure. He's like, let me tell you something, woman. You go, your sins are forgiven. Now, she's guilty. Dude, she doing this with is guilty. Brother man who's caught them, he's sick. He's guilty. All these jokers are guilty. The law condemns her, and she deserves to be pelted with rocks because of what the law says. And with Jesus, with all authority in his hand, all-powerful God, here, instead of judging her, instead of looking at her and saying, get your crap together, woman, what does he do? He displays an act of mercy that you and I got to get better at. Amen. He looks Amen. at her with forgiveness because that's what the loving kindness and mercy of God does. And then the verse right after that, I love it, verse something in chapter 8. It says this. It says, then Jesus gets up. I know my Bible. Jesus gets up and he says these words. And he says, I am the light of the world. Now, I like that. Amen. Because do you know what light does when it's turned on? It exposes the mess that the darkness has allowed in. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He just flicked on the light for these jokers and said, let me tell you something. All you who are hiding in the dark, thinking that you got all your stuff together, I just flipped the light switch on. Okay. Because I am the light of the world. Because that's what his mercy does. It turns the light on in our soul. Yes. It was God's mercy that found these jokers out. Hear me carefully. It's his mercy that when you are found out in your sin, it's God's mercy that his light turns on in your soul. Amen. It would be his judgment if the light never came on and if mercy is never displayed. Okay. Here is Jesus going, all right, I'm going to tell you guys who I really am. I am the light of the world. The one Amen. who brings mercy. And I bring mercy by turning my light on to the darkness. Now, notice now, because this is incredible claim that Jesus just made. This is one of the seven I am statements. Jesus essentially is not only just saying that I am mercy, I, I am a God of mercy, that I turn the lights on for people, but Jesus is claiming to be God with the statement of I am. Do you remember in Exodus chapter 3? Yeah. When the flaming bush is talking, this is really crazy. I don't know what LSD they're on at that time. But this really, really creepy flaming thing that's not being inflamed, but it is. I don't know what's going on. This voice is talking to Moses, and Moses is like, well, who do I say sent me? And the voice says, I am sent you. You know how that translates? That translates is I be who I be. Yeah. Now, that's West Point talk by saying... I will be who I will be for the rest of the white people who didn't understand what that just meant. (laughs) Jesus is going all throttle on them saying, yeah, the I am guy who said that I am, I'm that guy. The Yahweh, the one who will be, who will be. I am. So Jesus is making an incredible statement. Not only is he a God of mercy, not only is he turning the lights on for people, but he is... Claiming his deity of being the God. All right, now, 
story gets really interesting in John chapter 8. I've got to do this because I did this in the early service. <laughs> story gets really crazy in John. If you've got to read John, you need to read like several chapters at a time because really you don't understand like what's going on. So Jesus makes this claim, I am the light of the world. Amen. Some of these religious guys, they don't like that. So what do they do? They're like, really? You know, I'm going to paraphrase all this. All right. Really? So, so tell me more. Are you really God? Later on, they ask him, they're like, well, okay, well, we, we, we like the God of, of Abraham. And Jesus is like, if Abraham were here, he would be rejoicing that I'm here. I mean, those crazy jokers, they're like, you, so you've seen Abraham, what are you, 50 years or older? I don't know what that means in relationship to being 50 years or older. But they're just like, I, I, I'm assuming they're saying, what are you, old? You, you, uh, you saw Abraham, and Jesus, he looks at him. He's like, boys, before Abraham was, I am. Amen. Here's Jesus again telling them, let me tell you something. I am God. And here's how I know this is a statement of Jesus claiming his deity as God. Because immediately... These jokers are enraged yeah. at what he says. They pick up stones, and they're about to kill him because, by law, if Jesus is blaspheming, he should be stoned. Yeah. And so they think that this blasphemous claim that Jesus is God deserves immediate punishment. So they pick up their stones, but then Jesus knew what he do. He just leaves. He just disappears from those jokers. And then exactly what happens next is him about to prove the whole point to everyone. So him and his disciples are walking around, and they find a guy who's been blind all of his life. And the disciples ask Jesus really quickly, hey, wasn't it the, the sins of his fathers and mother? Isn't that the reason why he's blind? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. He's blind so that I may get some glory. So Jesus grabs this blind guy takes some mud, which is really awkward and weird, salivates in the mud, slaps it on the guy's face, and the guy immediately receives sight because Jesus wants to illustrate to people physically, not only is he this spiritual God that brings sight, but I am a God who brings sight to the blind so that they may see the light. Amen. Jesus is Amen. God and merciful in trying to display to these jokers that he is the light of the world, even if he takes a blind guy to illustrate his point. Amen. This blind guy will see because of my glory. Yes. And because I'm trying to illustrate to you that now he can see the light. And when you believe in me, the spiritual light turns on. And the spiritual blind eyes are made open because Jesus is merciful. Jesus is the light, and he is God. Amen. Later in John chapter 11, famous little Sunday school passage, Lazarus dies. And we're about to see another characteristic of Jesus, that Jesus is not only merciful, but he's also all-powerful. Gets wind that his, his friend Lazarus dies, been dead for quite some time. He's greeted by Martha. I don't know why I say it like that. 
Martha. It's kind of like the Sunday school teacher that you didn't like growing up. Here's why I know this. Actually, it's probably not true. It's greeted by Martha. And Martha tells him something incredible. She gets all sassy. Well, if you've been here, he wouldn't be dead. And Jesus, another one of these I am statements. He looks at her and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. It's almost like, he's probably like, really? I can kill death. Jesus is yet again displaying who he is. Again, another I am. Yahweh, I crush death. Can't hold a finger to me. What kind of power is this that Jesus can speak to death and say, stop being dead? What kind of power is this? And Jesus, and I love, I love Martha's response, because you got to get this, this is funny. This is how I know she's probably one of those mean Sunday school teachers. He says, I am the resurrection of life. He, he will live again. And she says to him, oh, I know he's going to live again, you know, at the last day. <laughs> so she knows, you know, like she knows her Bible. She knows, the, like she knows what's about to happen. So cynical little Martha, thinking that Jesus was speaking some kind of metaphor to her, she just says, yeah, 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 I know he's going to be raised from the dead on the last day. La, 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 thank you, Jesus, for those kind words. And then something incredible happens after that. We were about to see another characteristic of God displayed to the people. So Martha goes and gets Mary. Mary ain't too happy with Jesus. She is overwhelmed, overcome with grief. She's weeping. She's crying. She has these Jewish people with her. I mean, she is just emotionally a wreck. And upon being greeted by this emotional grief, it actually takes over on Jesus. And Jesus does something powerful in this moment. In John chapter 11, verse 35, we see the compassion of Jesus because this verse says that he weeps. The God of the cosmos, the incarnate God, Jesus, is here, overcome with grief of what is happening to Mary, overcome by the grief of these people who love Lazarus, is overwhelmed with grief himself. And I'm sure he's weeping not just for Mary, but he's weeping at the thought that this is what sin has come to do, to kill. Amen. And so here is Jesus weeping because we have a God who is not only merciful, who is not only all-powerful, but who is compassionate. Amen. Amen. And here is what you have to understand. That as a follower of Christ, my brothers and sisters, we must be reflecting that which Jesus was doing in the gospel. If you're not merciful, if you're not compassionate, then you're probably not following the real Jesus. Amen. If you're more bent towards kicking people while they're down, if you have no compassion in your heart for the lost and for the least and for the last 
then my friend, you're not following Jesus. Amen. You're following Amen. a counterfeit Jesus. Right. Amen. Because you're following after a Jesus that fits your needs, that is here to meet your needs, who's a bellhop that is not the Jesus of the Bible. Yes. If you are not being merciful, if you're not being compassionate, and here's the other thing, if you are not trusting in the sovereign power of God, that he holds all things together with the words of his mouth, that he could tell death to stop being dead. Amen. Think about the implications that should have over the situation that you've come up in this room with. And we've limited Jesus to be some small little fairy dude, some hipster cool-looking Jesus. Maybe he does have power. Maybe he doesn't. Well, that's not Jesus. He has all power. Amen. Which means that your situation is not too big, nor is it too small for Jesus. In fact, what I would, what I would venture to say is that Everything, every single thing, every problem, every good thing, every trial, there was nothing that did not escape through the hand of God without him knowing about. Amen. Because if he is sovereign, he's got to know everything too. Yes. And I know that's causing theological conundrums for some of you, and you'll be okay. Um, but here is the character of Jesus. Now, next verse, verse 17, kind of ties a lot of this together. Those were my three points, and I have three more sub-points. Here is Jesus displaying his power. If you want to see what Jesus looks, if you want to see what God looks like, then look at the image of Jesus. And Jesus is merciful, Jesus is all-powerful, and Jesus is compassionate. Amen. Then, then verse, verse 18, and, and I have this, I have this like highlighted in my real Bible because I, I wouldn't put a highlighter on my iPad. Look at verse 18. It says this right here. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So, and this is, whew, this is good. Let's make a Pentecostal run around a building. <laughs> so that he might come to have, what's that first place? Your translation may say a preeminence. Or superiority, so that Christ may have first place in everything. Okay. Now, here's here's my my question. Question. <laughs> that was funny. Here's my question. Like, does he have? Not to sound like smart, but does he have preeminence? Does he have superiority? Yeah. I like how the CSB puts it. Does he have yeah. first place in everything yeah. that you do? Yeah. Three things really quick. These things will fly by really fast. Jesus must have first place in our worship. Because here's my fear. I think if you want to see, like if we were to like want to know what we worship, just hypothetical here. I would venture to say, why don't you look at your bank statements? Why don't you look and see how your time is being spent? And, and the other part of that is, what are you constantly thinking about? That could probably pinpoint what you're worshiping. So my question is, is Christ not to-do list first thing? Is he the center of your worship? Here's what I envision for us as a church. That 
Christ Jesus has to be at the center of our worship because it should never be centered on me. It should never be centered on a method. Okay. It should never be centered on some idea that we have or, or some kind of, or it should be centered on being relevant or it should be centered on any of those types of things. If Christ is not the center of our worship at this church, then we might as well just shut the doors because we have just Amen. become a social club. Yes, so. Some of us worship our children. We worship relationships. We worship our jobs. We worship making money. We worship all of these things. Is Christ the center and the first of your worship? Yeah. Not only that, is he not only the first of your worship, but is he also the first of, of our objectives? In other words... Is it more about your kingdom than it is God's kingdom? And again, I can identify how this works out by the way we spend our time, our money, our resources, our thought processes. And my fear is that a lot of us, we're, we're more concerned about, I don't know, the objectives of our life are more centered on how I can obtain more, more power, more promotion, making a name for myself, uh, and, and young people, and my college students, <laughs> if that's your main objective, then you have fooled yourself <coughs> because Christ has to be the main objective yeah. of your Amen. life. Yeah. This Amen. church, the kingdom of God, our objective has to be Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Paul is saying, and he's interjecting into some weird thoughts, some weird practices that have crept into the church of Colossae, and he's saying, is Christ first in everything? Is he preeminent? And the other thing is, is Christ first in this church? I'm not Amen. talking about the church down the street. I ain't talking about the Church of America. I'm your pastor, and I got to press us into the thought and the question of, is Christ at the center of this church? Amen. Amen. Our goal, our objective, our mission, why we exist, what, what we're doing here, Jesus. Jesus. If it doesn't point back to him, then we have a terrible church. We have, again, a social club. Is Christ the center not, and I don't want you to think first place like, like a checklist like a lot of us do. It's, I don't think this is Paul's point. Not as like this checklist like, all right, is he first of your worship? Check. Now I can go worship somebody and some woman, some man, something else. That's not what Paul's point is. Not as like, is Christ the first place in his church? So like, went to church, check. That's not Paul's point. The point is, is he preeminent? Is he superior? I like to say it like this. Is he the center of everything that we do? Because if he's not the center of everything we do, then what are we doing here? Again, again, church, having a right understanding of Jesus, and the place that he should hold in our hearts, the place that he should hold in our church, 
that matters significantly in how we view church. Because if Christ is the center of this church, then petty disagreements won't distract us. Then petty disagreements won't derail us from the mission of the church. If Christ is the center of our church, then colors of walls, which praise God, we don't have that problem here, then methods, then all of these different things, they won't matter. How many churches have collapsed and split apart over stupid stuff? Well, they didn't do the carpet in salmon pink. Who would? (laughs) You got your committee over there. Christ is not the center. But again, I'm talking about us. If we ever get to the place where we're more about colors, walls, for more about lights and experiences, sound, more experience. If we're more um, worried about how many more ministries can you start, preacher? How many more ministries can you run? Then we've lost our purpose. Yes, yes, we have. These different ideas have crept into the Church of Colossae, and they've crept into the church. And Christ wants to recenter us and just ask the simple question: Is He the center of your life? Yes. See the center of this church. When we say we believe in Jesus as our doctrine, this is the Jesus we adhere to. He is God. He is merciful. He's compassionate. He's all-powerful. And he is at the center of everything that we do. And if we ever lose that, then we've got to shut our doors. Amen. Let me just offer up a word of prayer. Thanks for tuning in to Refuge Point Church's broadcast. We hope you were both challenged and encouraged by today's message. We would love for you to join us at one of our exciting worship gatherings each Sunday at either 9.30 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. We're located right off of I-85 in downtown West Point, Georgia. For more information, check us out online at www.refugepointchurch.org or you can download our church app by searching for Refuge Point Church in iTunes or Google Play.